0: This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 24 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. But not today, because uh, the person that we're dealing with is someone who, while one of the most influential people in the history of Star Trek creators has not really done anything outside of Star Trek, at least nothing which is accessible. So we felt that we should address him in some way or another. So we're going to take a look at the work of Rick Berman inside of Star Trek. Yes. So, Rick Berman, for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, come on, right? He's the... Executive producer of Star Trek The Next Generation. and If you w-
1: don't know who Rick Berman is, then either you've never seen Star Trek or can't read.
0: Right. <laughs> He's, Both are
1: valid life choices.
0: Yes, he, he, is, he is obviously the executive producer of Star Trek The Next Generation. And Meaning that
1: every time you have seen an episode of Star Trek or a movie, odds are his name's been there.
0: Yes, unless you only watch the original series.
1: That's kind of hard to do.
0: And, you know, uh, basically when Roddenberry was retiring, he handpicked Rick Berman, who was a studio executive, to um, run the franchise, to take over the fr- franchise. He gave him the keys to the kingdom. and
1: uh, It wasn't just when he was retiring. It was essentially like while he was running next gen. Right, yeah, basically. No, knew he yeah, was season, sick.
0: Season one, two, three yeah. of... of Of Next Gen.
1: At some point there was a very heartfelt conversation between him and Gene Roddenberry (laughs) in which he said, I'm going to die at some point and I want you to handle this when that happens. Right. And he said, okay, fine, I guess. I had some other plans, but maybe not. Maybe I'll not do those.
0: And for the next, I guess, like 15, 16, 17 years from, let's say, let's say from 1990... Up through two thousand five, he did run Star Trek. He was the executive producer of every single hour of Star Trek and every single Star Trek movie. And, and every
1: every two hours of Star Trek.
0: Yeah, he was a producer on those, obviously. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was obviously a huge, huge, huge part of the franchise. And basically, what it boils down to is that the next generation era was shaped by this man, by Rick Berman, and what we're going to do today is go through the franchise from Next Generation through Enterprise, or through Nemesis, if you'd like, and uh, just kind of look at how he shaped the franchise and, and what the choices were that were made and whether or not they were good or bad and, and, and all of that stuff, and, and what the fans' perception of him and those choices are and yes. were. So, it's
1: going to be quite a ride.
0: <laughs> so so like we said, you know, he started off on on Next Gen. He started off pretty much from the beginning of Next Gen and uh quickly became uh, a trusted uh collaborator uh with Gene Roddenberry.
1: He was a right hand. Mm-hmm. Or a left hand, who knows. Who knows how it was back in those days.
0: Yeah. And uh Basically I'm going to say around season three is when you can really start to see his influence because what he did as far as I'm concerned is he found a way to make the Roddenberry box work. He found a way to, to tell stories inside of that box.
1: I, well, I think what he did was he thought about it and considered all of the various permutations of that box and how it wasn't exactly a solid and fair box and that mm-hmm. it kind of shifted from time to time. It was kind of a moving target. So he found some dimensionality. He made it into a cube. <laughs> yeah. And so he was able to move things around in there. <laughs> a poor cube. Mm. <laughs> no. Okay. No I mean that's that's appropriate, but it does sort of paint a picture. Yes.
0: Um and and of course, you know the other thing that he did which uh, is noteworthy, I guess, has brought on Michael Pillar, who was a huge part of of next Generation's success. Mm-hmm. But um, how do you, how do you see Rick Berman's uh, contribution to next gen? You know, the idea of it getting a lot better once Roddenberry kind of takes a back seat to the production.
1: Um, I think that's. I think it's. I think it's a very difficult thing to quantify in any sort of um, real way. In order to like define this in words, I think it's sort of impossible. I think in a lot of ways, the show didn't mature because of one thing. It sort no. of became. I mean, like you can point to almost every transitional thing that happened between like like season two and four. And say like literally all of those things were unbelievably significant. Patrick Stewart's role changed Mm -hmm. in those seasons, Uh, and his 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 view of Star Trek changed in those seasons. His view of his castmates, like that's a significant thing. The writer, the writing staff, completely disassembled and reassembled in that time. All of it is definitely like like Rick Berman definitely contributed in some way. Quantifying exactly how he contributed is sort of impossible. Mm -hmm. But like if if every ship in the U.S. Navy has a guy who goes around making deviled eggs, then that's going to affect the entire Navy. That's going to change the, the, the armed forces in some significant way, even if it's just a dude with making deviled eggs. Guess, so it's really hard to know what Rick Berman was actually doing, but whatever it was it seemed to be working.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what Rick Berman was doing was, for one thing, assembling that team. That team that that finally worked because, like you said, it did but, take. But like
1: everybody, everybody points to lots of people.
0: Well, I mean, he he's the guy who I think ultimately, you know, there's there's kind of a, a stair step effect and stuff like that. But you know, he's the guy who got the right people in place.
1: I understand, but you're invoking the auteur theory. And if you do that, then it cascades down all the way through to what you leave behind part two.
0: Well, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like he, (laughs) you know, he was kind of like the first step, the first step in the process of, of turning that show around, I think personally. Um, And, and obviously it was very successful, you know, regardless. So that of course, led to a second Star Trek series. It got so big that they wanted another one. And he, it was his job to come up with what to do. Obviously, Michael Piller was the co-creator, and probably in terms of the nuts and bolts of the creation, uh, my guess would be much the nuts more...
1: The self-sealing stem bolts of the creation. Yes,
0: he, he was He a was, uh, much more um, involved in the uh, creative process, but the idea of where to go, what do you do? You have Star Trek The Next Generation. It's extremely successful. And where do you go with that? How do you create another show which is unique and, uh, you know, easily differentiatable? Is that a word? No. Okay. (laughs) E- easy to differentiate from from next gen and yet still Star Trek. And the idea, obviously, that he came up with Deep Space Nine was put it on a station. Sure. What do you think about that? How, what, what do you think about the choice to do that?
1: I I don't think it's as simple as deciding to put it on a station.
0: Well, obviously, there's a lot of other things that went into it. You know, I think
1: I think a great deal of it was was essentially to force the show to be noticeably different. Mm-hmm. And to put it on a station wasn't a decision made about like how great that would be. Yeah. It was a decision made because people would know that it wasn't the same thing. Yeah, because I mean, in the abstraction, next gen is really hard to define. Yeah. Like, is it a show about people on a ship? Sometimes the ship isn't really important.
0: I mean, I think what it is, you know, I mean, if you were to sort of map it, it's like you've got the original series, which is Star Trek. Yeah. Next Generation is basically that, but in the future, further in the future. Sure. You know, it's an updated version of that, which is fine, you know, and easy to do when you've only got one crew or, you know, one one show to... to on the air. But then when you have a when you add a second one to the mix, you you do need to make it weird. You know, like there's no way that Deep Space Nine would have been the follow
1: up to the original series. You know what I mean? But Yes. And at the same time, like these are things that are possible. But it's it's the we can argue like the the, the genesis of Star Trek and how it transformed over the years. But like it it developed in a direction and that direction was sort of in Formed by what worked, yeah. And if a particular thing had worked at the right time, Star Trek could have gone a different direction. I mean, it was largely steered by a, a weird sort of process of evolution. Mm-hmm. If the motion picture had been wildly successful, we would not have anything even remotely similar to what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, that could be. It would
1: be a wildly different um, franchise. Maybe not exist. Who knows? There are are different paths it could have taken. And, like, the way that the show evolved, the way the franchise evolved was there are guys who had a ship and sometimes they have it and most of the time they have it. Sometimes they don't. But it's not super important what the name of the ship is except it's probably going to be Enterprises because that's sort of what people know. Yeah, And, like, ultimately it became that because it was supposed to harken back to the original series to say, yes, we are reclaiming this. We are starting again fresh and better and when you decide to make a spin off of that you're locked into a particular bizarre logical conundrum in which you're supposed to make something that is spinning off spinning off from something successful that is largely determined by the trappings yeah
0: and and i think the the way that they went you know was just looking at it on the surface without having seen the future and seeing what what uh, Deep Space Nine became, I would have, I, I would say, and I, I mean, I, I I did think this back then that that's a, a really interesting way to go with it and a, kind of a logical next step or I, or
1: sidestep. I think it's I think it's actually kind of a dumb choice. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like you know creativity, um, responding to the question of a spinoff from a show set on a spaceship to set on a space station that is not a very clever response
0: but there there were a number of other changes as well of course but yeah i mean and, and i mean i, I think that is fine i think that it's you know on on the surface a, a nice way to uh, differentiate and i i don't know i mean obviously it, it ended up working so after that after next gen ends um they made the leap to the big screen and with that yes came next gen on the big screen, of course, it only makes sense. You know, the super successful show and you have the passing of the torch from the original series to the next generation with Captain Kirk and Captain Picard and everything in generations.
1: It does make sense. It's also kind of a depressing period in Star Trek's history because it's a place where their creativity collapsed. Okay. And they were forced to deal with the reality of, you know, box offices and the general population of people who don't watch the shows and trying to appeal to those people and that ultimately is what made the movies less good then really they should have been
0: maybe maybe not i mean i am I'm, I'm very fond of especially the first two movies but uh you know with 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 generations there was certainly that uh element to it and one of the things which I remember Berman saying again and again and again leading up to the movie was, "This is not a team up movie, this is not the original series and the next generation together. This is a next generation movie yep. and I think on the whole it is
1: I think like the the, the number one <clears throat> criticism i would I would levy at generations is that it's it's not a great story, and all good things is. Yeah, well, and can, there's no justification for that arrangement. It is what it is,
0: but you know. So, so at the same time, I mean, Berman was was obviously really busy. He, he was spinning a lot of plates, which is why he kind of dropped Deep Space Nine, or may, maybe didn't drop it, but tossed it to uh, someone else. No, he didn't drop it. He but,
1: just had somebody come in and grab that plate. Yeah,
0: which which ultimately I think was. And like I said,
1: you know, you don't have to keep this spinning. <laughs> you could just put it down, and he's like, "Get out of here." <laughs>
0: And ultimately, I think that was beneficial for Deep Space Nine, obviously. But what he was doing was creating Voyager along with Michael Piller and now Jerry Taylor. I like how they picked up a creator every time they decided to make a new show, you know. First show was created by one guy, second by two, third by three.
1: Yeah. There's always always two there are. Yeah. Get it? I get it. Okay.
0: <laughs> so... um With Voyager, and now that Next Generation is off the air, it kind of makes sense that they would go back to basics, in a sense, and return it to a ship. But you still need to somehow differentiate it from Next Generation. Yes. So, you throw them on the other side of the galaxy Mm -hmm. and have them trying to get home. Have them stranded by themselves. And in a lot of ways, this is something which they talked about uh, a lot back when the show was uh, was in development, was that it was kind of a throwback to the original series in that they were exploring uncharted space. They were um, on their own. You know, we didn't have like a fleet yeah. uh, supporting them and all that good stuff. Yeah. What do you think about that choice? Now, again, we're not talking about the quality of the series on the whole. We're talking about the idea of going in that direction.
1: We're not talking about the show. We're talking about yeah. the choice to do that. Right. And again, I think that it, it, it's a it's a problem that that I I think that it's it's true of almost all franchises. That mm-hmm. generally speaking, when it comes to the creation of spin-offs, spinoffs. Uh, uh, new incarnations, re reimaginings. Generally, there's one major problem, and it's a lack of imagination. And it's essentially the inability to recognize what is the best thing about the original thing and how to make it work in a new thing. And you always end up with people who are looking completely in the wrong place, mm-hmm. who are thinking that the thing that makes this thing good is the obvious superficial thing that people think of when they think of the show. Uh-huh people who don't watch it. It's a it's a, it's a radically problematic process. But you also putting have to... the, putting a spaceship on the other side of the galaxy is a meaningless change. <laughs> it is <laughs> but... it is completely meaningless
0: for what makes the show good. But but in some ways maybe maybe that's what these are are meaningless changes that needed to be made. You know, and and he he needed to come up with what the change would be in order to continue doing what it was he wanted to do. Maybe the criticism of Voyager being basically next generation um, is faulty because maybe they wanted to keep on doing next generation and they couldn't.
1: Oh, no, that's that's perfectly fine. Yeah. But when you are putting something together and you are designing a, a thing that you are then going to have to inhabit for a good length of time, you shouldn't cripple yourself with poor decisions early on so that people don't think that you're repeating yourself. But if is, you're going to repeat yourself, just say you're going to <laughs> and admit it. But is
0: is that a poor decision? Cuz I think that that was a good, really really good decision which could have elevated that show to something beyond what even next generation and deep space putting on 9 the other side of the galaxy. You put it on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah. I think that 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 offers a lot of dramatic opportunities which were
1: um, not paid off. I know what you're saying. You're saying had they become a show that doesn't bear any resemblance to Star Trek. I'm
0: not saying that necessarily.
1: You they can still do. Would have to do that. Not
0: really. No, I don't. I don't think so.
1: They would. Okay, fine. You'd you'd have to essentially do uh, a, an entire new cast of characters and creatures and aliens and new. Political scenarios. And the unfortunate thing is that when you're doing a series for, at that point, 30-some-odd years? At that point, uh, yeah. You're going to have a hard time thinking of it as a new thing. If you are on a spaceship that has a warp drive and transporters and shuttlecraft, you're going to come up with things that are kind of remixes of the previous things, especially... Mm -hmm if you don't force yourself to change. And what they did was they forced themselves to change and they came up with things that were sort of cosmetic distinctions. Oh,
0: well, maybe, maybe. But I think there were other people involved with the process who might have been coming up with more meaningful changes. Sure. Or not.
1: It, un- unfortunately, the problem isn't that, there's, that, that the show was poorly made. The problem is that these ideas are not are not great like like d space nine was not a great idea it was made great by people who made it work
0: but to be fair i mean they're better ideas than say csi where it's like now we're going to do it same thing but in new york now we're going to do the same thing but in miami you know
1: oh no i i agree I'm not saying that Star Trek is any better or worse it's, than it's anything hard, else. It's a hard thing to do. I'm saying that, that generally speaking, thinking outside the box mm-hmm. is not a thing that happens. There's a reason why it's prized. It's because it's weird and difficult to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think on the whole, he did a, a really good job with that. Okay, so, so after all that is done, and after Voyager is done, and, you know, Star Trek is still popular enough to stay on the air but not popular enough to support two series or anything like that the question becomes what's the next series going to be and I remember the debate and the thinking and the everything like what is it going to be I remember people thinking it might be something at Starfleet Academy or yeah, so all I this recall stuff. These,
1: I recall these days.
0: Well, I remember me thinking, and, and, and probably, I would say, the majority of people thinking, you know, there, there was some speculation, would they go further into the future? My speculation was always that it would be a prequel. Yes. And the only reason why <laughs> I was kind of, um, I questioned that, I questioned my assumption, was because I remember there being an interview with him where he's like, we might not even have Star Trek in the title. And I'm like, okay, if you don't have Star Trek in the title, then that means the title of the new series is Enterprise. Because really, you can't call it anything else. You can't have a Star Trek show and call it anything other than Enterprise if you don't have Star Trek in the title.
1: I disagree. I think that's part of the problem. Okay, well. Thinking inside the box.
0: Well, maybe. (laughs) I'm thinking from a marketing standpoint.
1: I I agree. And that's what you shouldn't do.
0: Well, that's. But when you're trying to piece together not what something should be, but what something is going to be, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. And guess yes. what?
1: I was right. Rick Berman was really good about making things that would would come into being.
0: <laughs> but, but the idea of a, you know obviously a prequel show being named Enterprise was like what? What? We already seen the first Enterprise. How can that be? <laughs>
1: <laughs> because of. Because of time travel, I what, guess maybe who cares.
0: What did you think was going to be the next series? Like, it went n- not what you thought it should be, but what did you think it was going to be? Just in broad terms, did you think they were going to stay in the next gen era? No. Do you think they were going to go in the future?
1: No. Um, like, I figured that it would be a prequel. I d- I didn't I didn't see I didn't see Enterprise. I thought I thought that obvious. I thought the the, the thing that I heard a long time before, was Starfleet Academy. Yeah. And if you're going to do a prequel, the idea of Starfleet Academy, that sort of makes sense. It's sort of obvious. You just you start with Kirk and Spock at Starfleet Academy. That seems oh, obvious. Oh,
0: so you thought it was going to be... Well they say they say Spot.
1: prequel, they say Starfleet Academy and I'm like if they're going to get away from where they are, go back to Starfleet Academy.
0: I always assumed that if they were going to do a Starfleet Academy show, it
1: would be in the next gen era. See that's see the problem there is that they've defined Starfleet Academy very loosely and kind of awkwardly in the mm-hmm. next gen era. What we've seen of it was weird and 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 as a as a as a as a, as a body it sort of seemed impossible, mm-hmm. and 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 the idea of like the Kobayashi Maru being a known thing, yeah, you're going to lose the opportunity to show that in I, your show. So having like the idea of Kobayashi Maru Starfleet Academy, obviously, we're going to show Kirk do it. I mean,
0: I guess so. Is it to, to me like I I don't know because I never really thought about it. And I guess that was the other thing that was being thrown around. You know, that was I think the time that j michael straczynski had pitched his um remake yes, of I, the original I, series yes i recall that um but uh i didn't really think any of that stuff was going to happen i i assumed it was going to be a prequel and i mean the thing is now well like, i'm
1: not saying i'm not saying i was that i predicted that that would be the case yeah if some if you if you said like 10 bucks mm-hmm. broad strokes Whatever it turns out to be, we're going to figure out which one of us is closer, uh-huh. and that person will get the ten bucks. I would say Starfleet Academy and Young Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all them guys. Okay, that's what I would have said.
0: I mean, like, I I don't know. Like thinking about it now, I think I was naive in thinking that there was a chance of it being Starfleet Academy because one of the things which I think has been stated on the record is that. If you're only gonna have one Star Trek show on the air, mm-hmm. it's gotta be on a ship. You know? That's just mandate. And and not, not that it should be or anything like that, but that's just the way it is. So the idea so there would never be the only way you could do the Starfleet Academy concept is if you were to make it about Kirk, Spock, and Bones. I mean, that's even why, you know, recently Braga has been talking about how the original concept for Enterprise was the first season would be pre-launch, and then yes. season two would be, and in, in the, the, I think it was the studio that nixed the idea.
1: Yes, the yeah. idea of like having a, show, having a Star Trek show that is earthbound and the audience yeah. wouldn't like it and the executives wouldn't like it. And I, I honestly think that all of that is complete nonsense. Yeah,
0: which is crazy because now, I mean, one of the things that they kept on talking about with like, um, Into Darkness is that like they, people love Earth stuff, people yeah, love you seeing need to see and buildings Earth and, in and the stuff. trailers and stuff like that. That's yeah, so weird.
1: I don't look. I think that everybody's wrong in some significant way about this question. And mm-hmm. ultimately, the question is like, can you have? You know, action and big scale drama in yeah. a show that's set in Starfleet Academy, and I mean, it's called Starfleet. They have spaceships. It's not unreasonable that they would have spaceships yeah. week to week. Oh, that they would yeah. go places. That seems completely reasonable. I mean, like this is a Starfleet Academy. The idea that they have all their classes in like what would be very similar to a modern university is ludicrous. Yeah, <laughs> like obviously, there's going to be a lot of space stuff. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you could could do it. I assume that that they've got a specific like auditorium ship that has a whole bunch of rows on the bridge for all the students to sit there, while the teacher is the captain of the ship and they go on adventures. And that show sounds fantastic. I actually wonder. Look to your left. (laughs) Look to your right. One of those crew members will be blown up by an exploding console before this semester is over. I,
0: I actually wonder if that idea was uh, tossed around when they were developing Deep Space Nine. I bet you it was. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot Obviously of Obviously not my hilarious lecturing no, room on no, bridge no, scenario but, because but the, that's too good. But but the idea of of a Starfleet academy show
1: yes i I 'd heard the Starfleet Academy thing, mm-hmm. so when you when you hear a rumor that pops up regularly, either it 's the fans keeping it alive or somebody just keeps bringing it up because it 's really hard to conceive of a new show when like you 've got these things that have sort of set the mold in a very particular way, mm-hmm. breaking away from that in a way that feels also true to the origins. Starfleet Academy made sense, yeah. made a kind of sense, and eventually they did actually end up basically doing that, mm-hmm. uh, at least for the first half of a movie, so yeah. Yeah. like that seems totally obvious that they would eventually get around to it. Yeah, but Enterprise did not completely blow me away with its weird concept. Mm-hmm. It seemed like, oh, I guess sort of after when the first contest, I guess because of New Warp. Okay, and like, but at the same time, it was like, you, it it kind of feels like you couldn't think of anything better.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, like I was really excited about the concept, and mm-hmm. when I started watching it, I lost interest really fast. Like I lasted by like, like a by good... like
1: when the credits hit on Broken Bow, you were no, like, I'm almost out.
0: Like I, I lasted like <laughs> three episodes, literally, <laughs> and then I was like, that's that's it for me, and and it wasn't until. Basically, when I found out what they were doing, what they were going to be doing in season three, I was like, okay, well, you know, in that summer, I watched the reruns of season two. So I had seen most of season two going into season three. I recall these days. And I I was, you know, well into it at that point. But regardless of that, um, I, I think that, you know, it, it was an interesting concept for sure. Season three no well the 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 the, the show. show the, the show co- concept ask. for the show is sure. very interesting
1: uh like there were a lot of there are a lot of good ideas there. One of the best ideas is to not be locked into the star trek concept like the, the general like let's like, gonna we're gonna do a star Trek episode this mm-hmm. week. The idea of instead of doing Star Trek episodes to do a show about people on a spaceship that is in space and space is super dangerous and they could die yeah. not because. Klingons show up, but because space is super dangerous and this is kind of new. And the idea of a ship that is untested, the idea of, you know, transporters, shuttlecraft, all of that stuff. I mean, like, it's the drama of space travel. I mean, it works. Gravity is a thing. I mean, like, this is a concept that works. You don't really need a lot of other stuff. And and by the end of Broken Bow, I was like, okay, well, that's kind of done. Mm -hmm. They've kind of um, closed the door on all of those storylines and said, we're back to normal Star Trek now.
0: Yeah, and uh, I agree. It felt like I was watching Enterprise again, or um, Voyager again. Yeah. Okay, so Nemesis, the last next generation movie.
1: The nemesis of Star Trek films.
0: Yes, it bombs. I think in no small part because it went up against The Hobbit, but I think it it was The Hobbit? Or Lord of the Rings, same mm. thing, but I think it was it was doomed to begin with. Sure, that's what it was. And and people basically stopped watching Enterprise so much so that uh, they cancel it, and the ratings were really really bad because of Lord of the Rings, it. right? It was because of Lord of the Rings, yeah, for that's what sure. it was. <laughs> <laughs> and we're left without any Star Trek, mm-hmm. and the next idea that popped up the next story that was commissioned i guess was the romulan war movie which was planned to be a trilogy eric jenderson was uh writing it and berman was on as a producer yes however it's since been revealed that he was kind of a producer in name only and uh once that idea was scrapped uh Obviously, J.J. J. Abrams and his team was brought on, and, and that's where we stand. So that that's the Rick Berman era. Yeah, that that is kind of like the the major contributions in terms of uh, show creation or whatever that that he made to the series. Obviously, we're simplifying it uh, greatly, and there's been a lot of uh, talk throughout the history of Star Trek about Berman's contribution and whether or not. It's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people have kind of started to see the truth and have, with some distance, have become less reactionary and and more uh, um, realistic and and sort of uh, have come to terms with the fact that Rick Berman's contribution to Star Trek has been overwhelmingly positive, not. One hundred percent positive, but certainly better than him not being there.
1: Well, that's sort of a philosophical question. <laughs> um,
0: it, it's a, I guess so. But that's, I mean, regardless, I'm making this too big. I can so make let's, a Star
1: Trek series about that question. Well,
0: let's take it back down a bit. There'd how, be no ship. How do you feel about uh, Rick Berman's? We would take place at Starfleet Academy. Okay, <laughs> how how do you feel about? Rick Berman's contribution to Star Trek on the whole?
1: Um, As a fan of a franchise, it can be very difficult sometimes. Sometimes the fans of a franchise can get very angry with the people in charge of that franchise. And I've seen this with most franchises. Most franchises I've ever been a fan of or interested in or a part of, I have seen them turn on their creators. But it's just naturally how things go. Mm-hmm. I mean, like ultimately, they made this place. we've been there long enough, and at some point, we realize it's a prison and And everyone around us is like oh we're we're stuck here, and when you realize that you're kind of stuck with this group, um you can end up resenting the way it has been shaped and I think Rick Berman was not a warden; he was maybe the guy who could get things done, yeah. But, like, ultimately, like, it's a question of, like, what you go there for. And you're there. You're you're into it for a certain thing. And he delivered what was good about it much more than what was bad about it.
0: Yes. I agree. I mean, you know, growing up with Star Trek, you see the things that work and you see the things that don't and you see that the show which is the best is the one which he is least involved with and the shows that you you know are disappointed by are the ones which he's most involved with and you know you start reacting you start overreacting and i think
1: uh well it's because you you hear you hear about the squeaky wheels sure that you hear the squeaky wheels the wheels that are spinning super well Right. Because he started them on those plates that he was spinning? Uh Uh-huh. You don't hear about those,
0: Right. So now with with time and uh, perspective and looking back at the things which made Star Trek great, I think we can see that a lot of stuff, a lot of the reason why we love Star Trek has to do with Rick Berman. And because of that, you know... I love the guy.
1: Well, it's... Like, the narrative started shifting a while back. Mm-hmm. Like, the narrative started shifting for me when I, I I started to learn more about, like, what was actually happening. Like, sure. episode by episode. Like, yeah. when you know the sort of the broad strokes of, like, right. Deep Space Nine Voyager, and Next Gen, like, it's really easy to, like, go, like, Rick Berman's sort of, like, he he gets closer to the things that are not good. Mm-hmm. And when... When you get close to each, like, thing and you start studying it in detail, you end up seeing, like, Rick Berman was close to the things that weren't good because they were not working. Yeah. And-, and he was trying to fix things. Yeah. And that's that sort of, like, makes a kind of obvious sense when you get down to it. And when you hear Rick Berman talk about a huge amount of stuff and you hear Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Bragg and a million writers talk about what Rick Berman did, like, over time, you get a, you get this picture of a guy who... Was running a ridiculously large ship. Yeah. And there were bad decisions made on this ship. Like an Enterprise-D-sized ship. Thank you for underlining my subtext. Okay. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, somebody's going to get killed. hmm But, like, it's still flying. Yes. And, and when he's involved in something really closely, sometimes it turns into Chain of Command Part 2. Mm-hmm. And it can get pretty dark but it's still flying, and yeah. that's the most important thing. And he, he made amazing decisions constantly that he doesn't get credit for because he wasn't the writer of that episode. Yeah, You know, he was just solving problems.
0: Well, it's been fun talking about Rick Berman this week, but that's not the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM, so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Montgomery Montgomery
0: Scott It's really just there to tell a story that they couldn't tell with Kirk or Spock or McCoy
1: This is true, an episode where Kirk is framed for the murder of a hooker would be Right, awesome Completely different It would be awesome, but (laughs) Earl Grey Ships
0: Ships of TNG TNG Part
1: 2 Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior (laughs) ship? I want its
0: treasure I want the other ship,
1: Darren. How long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, I like tell that. us. That was good. Do yeah. a <laughs> The ready room. Scientific method. She tells the the, the 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 woman that comes on the bridge, and she's like, "Well, it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to drive into these stars. It's going to be great. Like it's <laughs> like I'm just like the orb. Till so death do death us part. Park.
0: His are, are, are very quizzical in nature. They they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who. Who is willing to accept okay where what is this reality what's going on she's just all like tell me what to do right now you know like right there's nothing spiritual about her to the
1: journey one versus doctor's orders I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen, I don't don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them. (laughs) Like, life was happening, and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Undeveloped Enterprise Stories.
0: But the idea here is that Porthos would become intelligent and would be the only member of the crew capable of communicating with a canine alien. So even Hoshi apparently... Couldn't figure out this dog language. Commentary: Trek stars.
1: Giftful, I
0: I loved. I'd love to see an X Files one shot with Scully and and the
1: hookers. With you know? Scully and the hookers. Yeah. That's a great name for a band. Call it, Scully and the Hookers. <laughs> Melodic treks. My musical, musical favorites. favorites. You know, I don't completely hate the opening theme. I, I just really think that Archer's theme should be opening credits continuing mission star trek axonar with alec peters that's what
0: we posit we say it makes sense that at this point we know it's from from tos they're not integrated so our crews are not integrated Uh, and and we make a point of that we don't avoid it we make a point of it and in prelude to axonar they talk about
1: that literary treks idw alien spotlight
0: part one well, Chris, it's okay because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So, from space, you know, you betcha. <laughs> you know, that's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's going to be
1: fine. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows. You can find new shows every single day. They're on iTunes on our fancy new artist page. Just go to iTunes.com slash Trek FM.
1: Yeah, if you don't know how to find iTunes. Yeah. Oh, well, no, but, that, but
0: find, find the pa- like, <laughs> you Because having to do searches and everything is all annoying you know, on iTunes. But now you can just go to iTunes.com slash Trek FM, and they're all right there. You can also find them on Stitcher and Windows Phone and mm-hmm. Xbox and all those places. But yeah. Or just go to our website, Trek.FM, and you can uh, stream them directly from there. Just go to Trek.FM slash PD for podcast directory. Rick Berman was the co writer of Star Trek Generations. And, you know, J.M. Diller did an adaptation of Star Trek Generations, and you can listen to that adaptation uh, for free uh, if you sign up for Audible, since you're a listener to us. So uh, here's, here's a description it's narrated by John Delancey. What? It says. Uh, this freaking me out. The story begins with the launching of the USS Enterprise and the mysterious disappearance of Captain James T. Kirk. Then, 78 years later, Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise receives a distress call from a remote scientific observatory. Picard learns that a newly developed superweapon has been stolen by a desperate scientist with an insane plot. Facing the most difficult task of his career, Captain Picard must seek out the one person with the power to help him spoilers, it's Captain Kirk.
1: Oh, man, I thought you were going to say Q. Sorry. Because he would definitely have that much power.
0: So Audible is a great way to uh, catch up on all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Um, You can uh, get uh, current uh, bestsellers or classics, which you've never read but uh, always wanted to. And since you're a listener to Trek FM... You can get a book for free, whether it's Star Trek Generations or you know maybe Star Trek First Contact's more your cup of tea. Or I don't you know, know. a entirely different book,
1: yeah, based on a better movie.
0: <laughs> you, uh, you just go to audible dot com slash trekfm and uh, sign up today, and uh, you'll you'll get the free book, and you'll be on your way to uh, to a, a, a cornucopia of 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 reading and for- knowledge and. A cornucopia
1: Books.
0: of reading, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 other things which uh, which are equally awesome.
1: A chocolate fountain of learning.
0: <laughs> yes, or a reading rainbow. No, how's that? <laughs> no, okay. All right. Not that. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. Um, it was good talking about Rick Berman. Good to, to acknowledge him. Even if uh you know it's um someone who who hasn't done stuff outside of Star Trek that much, he did the big blue marble, but that's it um but
1: yeah if you're if you're old and remember those shows, yeah, you probably remember liking it because it was good.
0: Right. As always, you can find us on uh, Trek FM, where we do this show. And you can also find me uh, on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with, with my friend Drew, our friend Drew. And you can find us on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon. And uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at com, And we'll be back next week to kind of add a little uh, uh, appendix to our our Bran and Braga series where we're going to take a look at his new creation, Salem. Which, by the way, if you want to be all caught up with us, Salem debuts on Sunday night, this Sunday night on WGN America. So, check, check it out, come back here on Friday, and uh, we'll talk some witches.